everybody, and welcome back to the Wayward Dragons. I am one of your hosts. I'm Kelsey. You're doing the intro? Yeah, because you, like, dropped the ball. (laughs) There was was a noise. I don't know if it was the cat trying to get into the room because the cat is locked out of the room, so I'm just like, uh, (laughs) anyways, sorry. Hi, everyone. (laughs) Yeah, and welcome back to part two of Helena Blavatsky. (laughs) God. That's a name. Yeah, so welcome back. Hope everyone survived the eclipse relatively well. And Oh, I died during the eclipse. <laughs> like, hope everyone survived the chaos. Well, not necessarily the chaos, but the energy that is the eclipse. It's not always chaotic, like you are made to believe. Um, and happy Thanksgiving for those who that are listening in the U.S. Hope you have safe travels and that... Your relatives don't make things awkward and rude. So. And I'm still locked and loaded with my Nerf gun if you listen to the review episode. If you're wondering why I have a Nerf gun, you should listen to the review episode. <laughs> you do. You've had a Nerf gun like pointed at the screen the whole time. <laughs> Alright. So this is going to be a lot of information. And I figure we can just go ahead and get right on into it. So for this episode, we are going to be talking about Helena Bravatsky, the later part of her life, and the society that she creates, the, the uh, I don't even know how to pronounce that. Theophys, theoph, yep. Theosophical. That, Theosophical Society. Thank you. <laughs> it is a lot of information. Um, so, the name of the society basically comes from um, two different Greek words. Theos, meaning God, and Sophia, um, which means wisdom. So put the words together. It'll depending on who you talk to, God wisdom, divine yeah. wisdom. So, so basic way to think of it, you have theology, which is you know the study or practice of be- our belief in some sort of higher power. Uh, it's basically religion, the study of religion, and philosophy, which is the study of the way we process things or the thought of life and the way we think about life. Theosophy is a combination of those two, where it is uh, the study of our life from a religious or uh, exoterical standpoint. So it is basically the whole, instead of just why are we here, what's our purpose, it's why... Are we here from a divine standpoint? What did the divine put us here? What do they have to teach us? What do we have to learn from them? Yes. Um, and depending on who you would talk to, to like who's a part of the society, um, you did get different um, meanings of the word. Um, Bovovsky herself insisted that the off. The office, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, that it wasn't a religion in itself, um, but Lachman described it more as like an umbrella term. Mm-hmm. So, like how a cult is an umbrella term for a lot of different things. So, first starting, um, Olcott, Olcott, he was appointed chairman. Um, Judge was the secretary, and Blavatsky was the corresponding um, secretary, even though she was a group's main leading um, figure. She was the main person that you saw out um, in society. She was kind of like their face. And when you actually pull up the society on uh, Google, it's her face. (laughs) That pops up. No one else. Her. So they start the society, and then in 1875, she starts her first book on the theophysical worldview. Um, She wanted to call this the veil of isis um but this becomes her first book which is called isis unveiled um this eventually gets published into two different volumes it's over um i want to say like a thousand it's huge um but while she writes the book she claims that she's aware of a second consciousness that is within her body um she would refer to this second consciousness as the lodger who is inside me um and the writing was basically inspired by the second consciousness um she quoted many texts that she never had access to 
Um, and that's what Olcott, Olcott claims. Um, but Lockman said that she basically had a um, photographic memory. So once she saw it once, she remembered it for forever. Um, so I don't know if you want to believe on that one. But basically she had an idea, and this is kind of where the society kind of stems from, that all the world's religions stemmed from this single ancient wisdom. And it create it connected everything in the Western world with this her- um, hermetic and neoplatonism. Um, so it it's it's a lot of complicated things, um, but basically, Hermeticism is a religion that's focused around the god Hermes, um, the messenger god. Wow, that's what Wikipedia said. That is wrong. That's what that is wrong. So hermeticism is based around something hermetic or sealed. Like think something hermetically sealed. So it is tightly sealed, tightly kept. The tie-in with Hermes is the belief with Hermes Trismegistus, which it was an individual and a teacher who in parts was believed to be the god Hermes and in parts was believed to be the god Toph. If you look back at our episode on the Hermetic principles, yeah, we kind of okay. go into more detail there. That makes a lot of sense. But the book mainly is about the link to Darwinism. So she was very open about her criticism of, of the Darwin theory. So this is around the time that Darwin's theory of evolution kind of comes out and kind of takes over a lot of things. Um, but she basically said that Darwin's idea physically makes sense of how we evolved. But spiritually, it, it doesn't make sense. There's there's something missing. The, the mental part doesn't fit the physical part is basically what she said in the book. Um, Isis Unveiled is edited by a professor called Alexander Wilder. And like I've said, it was published in two different volumes in 1877. Um, it does receive a lot of negative reviews, um, basically saying that she's quoting a lot of other texts um, and she's not really writing anything that's her own. Um, but it was a huge commercial success. It sold out of its first 1,000 copies in two days. Her publisher actually offers her to write a sequel, which she actually turns down. Even though the book was a huge success, the society really hasn't taken off yet at this point. There are some lodges throughout the U.S. and London. Um, she has members like Thomas Edison join, but there, there's not really a whole lot getting taken off. Um, and during this time, this is actually when she's in the U.S. Um, in 1878, she becomes a U.S. citizen. So we're going to talk about a lot of her journey in India. Um, so from 1879, 1878, late 1878, um, to 1885, she's in India. Um, and she's everywhere in India. Um, so basically they, her, Olcott, Olcott and her, basically she looks at him and is like, hey, we're going to India. So every time I say they, it's going to be the two of them. They went everywhere in India together. Um, but they first established links with an Indian um, reform movement, the Arya Samjai, I think is how you pronounce that. And they believed that these two organizations shared a common spiritual view, worldview, and... That's one of the reasons why they went to India. Blavatsky was very unhappy with her life in America. So she looked at Alcock and was like, yo, we're going to India. We're going to join up with this spiritualist movement. This reform movement. Because I think their views align with ours. So in the December of 1878, they basically auctioned off everything that they owned. They boarded the Canada, which is, I'm assuming, a boat. Um, <laughs> oh, they took the whole state hey, the whole country. Like I'm like I don't think it's a plane. Um, and they left for London. 
Um, and then from London, they went, they traveled to Bombay. They arrived in Bombay in February of, seven, of 1879. Um, and then she's greeted by one of their members, Arya Samjai. I don't even know how to pronounce that man's name. I'm not even going to try. But just like everywhere else that she was in her life, she doesn't really associate with the British elite here. And for those who don't know, India was controlled by the British, by the British Empire during this time. So we haven't hit the the revolution and stuff like that yet but she doesn't really identify with a lot of the british elite that are in india at the time um she associates a lot with the indian people that are there and that is mainly what she is known for she's credited with a lot of things that we'll talk about later on in the episode of a lot of hindu movements um gandhi like huge but this was a period of time where India was becoming very self-assertive in its views, and it was very much against the views of the British Empire. So she kind of helped start that revolution and kind of spiritual thinking and stuff like that there. Um, and she does really help them take back their roots, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, but it's funny, she's actually closely monitored by the British Intelligence Service because they think she's a spy for Russia. So, you have that. In April, Blavatsky, Olcock, and her servant, plus a couple of, um, like, a mutual friend, um, go to the Kalara Caves. She announces to them that they contain secret passages, passages that lead to an underground place where the masters um, have assembled. Um, and then she also claims that the masters are communicating with her telepathically and they want her to head to shop Putnan. I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> In um, Punjab. Um, so her and Olcock, they head north. Um, and on the way, they stop at the Yumani River where she meets ba Babu Sardas. Um he sat in the lotus position for 52 years, and then they went and saw the Taj Mahal. And then July of 1879, they start their monthly magazine called the Theosophist, whatever. Um, Theosophist? <laughs> their first major issue comes out in October. How about you just point at me and... And you can say the word, because I'm having a hard word. time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a hard time. Um... It'll, it'll be just like it's cut into it, like I'm <laughs> a robot. Like, you press a button, and it's just like, theosophist. Theosophist. Theosophy. Theosophy. I can't. Um, the first major issue comes out in October. Um, Theosophy. And she's actually a major editor. She's one of the major editors for this magazine for a very long time. She eventually hands over the management of the magazine to fellow... Uh, to a fellow member um and he would later introduce the idea of calling the masters mahatmas mahatmas m-a-h-a-t-m-a-s mahatmas mahatmas um so in december they traveled to Halidan, um where they visit alfred percy smith um smith is actually a major character not only in the later of this, but a later, like, if you read, I'm currently reading her biography, and he's, like, a major character in a lot of stuff. He was the editor of The Pioneer, and he's a known spiritualist, and then he's got A.O. Hume and his wife were also staying at his house at the time, and Blavatsky basically performs basic um, paranormal phenomenon. Um, she starts to be known around this time for making stuff materialize out of nowhere. So keep that in mind. <laughs> like, I'm like, okay, this is a little weird, but cool. And then basically from there, they go to Ceylon, where they visit a monastery of Buddhist monks. Um, they later become the first U.S. people to convert to Buddhism there. And so... She also does some further traveling from this time. Um, and then she finally, she's invited back to Simlon, um, where she spends more time with Simit. Um, she performs a rage of materializations, like she pulls a cup out of the ground while they're on a picnic. But Smith's 
eager to have communication with the master. So he convinced Blavatsky to start the communication. Um, and this is what would later become the Mahatma letters. Basically, it's a 1400 page thing, book. I don't even know if it's a book. Manuscript? Manuscript would probably be the right word. That is alleged letters from the two masters. He, and he later makes this into a book. He does. She does not like that he's put this into a book. He doesn't think that it's... She thinks it's very misleading because he makes it like a, a eocentric Buddhism is the title. And she's like, that's not right. It's very misleading. But basically... <laughs> you're gonna have to say it the theosophy theosophy the yeah thank you <laughs> it wasn't very popular um in india because obviously the british empire is there so there's a lot of Brit um christian monasteries and then you have in um, britain in general um but as i said before the society was very popular with a lot of the indian population that was there and then because of that, Olcock, oh, yeah, he Olcott. decided, yeah, um, he established <laughs> um, the Buddhism educational funds. But the fund was set up to kind of help stop the spread of Christianity and help the Indian people kind of take back their culture type thing. Around this time, Blavatsky gets diagnosed with Bright's disease. This is basically a kidney disease. Um, she also has a lot of, um, she has a heart problem too. And she hoped that by moving um, to Adyar, that it would kind of help solve stuff. Ad Adyar basically becomes the international headquarters for the society. Um, in 1882, they purchase property and decide to make the headquarters. So they save some of, room, some of the rooms for Blavatsky for her to kind of move into in hopes that she hopes it'll make her better. Even though her health is failing, she does decide to travel back to Britain with Olcock. Um, he's planning on arguing the case of Kelanese Buddhism and sort out a lot of the problems that are happening in the London Lodge. She appears at a meeting. She's supposed to help quell arguments between Olcock and two other members, Anna Kingsford and Edward Miltonland. Um, but Kingsford was very unsatisfied with Vavosky and thought she was a snob of a woman. So she actually split from the society and made her own called the Hermetic Society. And then also while she's in London, Blavatsky uh, reaches out to the Society of Psychological Research um, because they have requested to kind of study her. Um, and this report kind of becomes controversial later on in her life that we'll kind of talk about. Basically, it kind of says that whether she's a fraud or not. Um, they initially say that she's a fraud, but later in life, they kind of take that back. But basically, she was not very impressed with the society. So while she's in Europe... Trouble was happening at the headquarters, the Adra headquarters, um, and it would later be known as the Colum Affair. Um, basically, the Society's Board of Control had accused Emma Colum. Minor sidebar, this is a woman that Blavatsky invited into her home, her and her husband, to stay with her. And while they stayed with her, they caused a lot of problems um, with members that were also staying with her at the time Blavatsky had a lot of people in her home and Bolvasky took the side of Colum and in turn the members that were staying with her returned to Britain. But basically the society accused Emma of misappropriating their funds for her own purposes and they had asked her to leave um, but her and her husband refused to leave and they started to blackmail the society with letters that they claimed were from Bolvasky that basically denounced her abilities the couple went to a magazine and they published a huge article that Bavatsky was a fake. The story got international attention. So in response, Bavatsky heads back to Cairo in November of 1884, where she goes on a search to find anything negative about Emma. And she finds that this woman has allegedly been charged with extortion and criminality. The affair doesn't really hurt the world's view of the society but the the affair does a lot of internal damage um that you can see once she unfortunately passes away because her her health is getting worse she decides to go back to europe 
Um, she resigns from her position from society from the society and leaves India. She first settles in Naples, Italy. She had a small pension from the society, but she's also working on another book, um, The Secret Doctrine, which comes out, I want to say, in two volumes again. Mm-hmm. I want to say. Um, I believe so. And then she, I was like, I want to say, every book that she writes is massive. Um, yeah. And then she kind of, like... As someone who has read them, yes, they are freaking massive. Um, and she kind of moves around a lot, and she kind of forms like this really small circle of like twelve people that she calls like her disciples and chosen ones. In December of eighteen eighty five, the report from the Society of Psych- um, Clinical Research is published. Um, in the report, it would say that she was a spy from Russia and that she was a fraud. Um, a number of the society people denounced her and resigned from the society because of this. She wanted to sue her accusers, but Alcock thought it was bad for the society, so she didn't really do anything. Um, but basically, people thought that Richard Hutchinson just wanted to attack Blavatsky and did not conduct a unbiased analysis of her. He just hated her, didn't like her, and that's just how the report went. Didn't really matter what she said or did. But in 1986... Um, the society, the research society, does admit to this case um, and retracts the report. But in eighteen, in yeah, eighteen eighty six, she is confined to a wheelchair. Um, she goes to Belgium. She visits a whole bunch of other people, and while she's there, she's treated by Doctor William Ashton Ellis. He treats her for a no fatal illness in March of eighty seven. Um, and then to supplement her income, she opens a small ink producing business. And during this time, she gets letters from the society back in London about how they're dissatisfied with how um, Smitten's been running it. He was more focused on getting upper middle class support for the society, not necessarily promoting the society in general. So she kind of goes back in 87 and then she establishes her own lodge because she's that's who she is. And she drained a lot of the membership of the original society just as like a fuck you. In 89, she is visited by um, Gandhi. Um, he actually reads some of her work. And that's what kind of inspires him is a lot of her work. Which I think is kind of cool. Yeah, I think the two big inspirations for him were her and uh, Martin Luther King. Or no, Martin Luther King. He inspired Martin Luther King. That's what it was. She inspired him and he inspired MLK. Yep. Um... And if you go on the society's website, I want to say they have a list of people that quote her as her being their inspiration. It's actually a pretty cool list. And then in 88, she establishes the um, esocentric section of the society. This is where her 12 like disciples are. And then while she's in London, she founds a magazine called Lucifer. She wanted to write about philosophical ideas. She didn't really want to write about the paranormal anymore. She finishes her book called The Secret Doctrine. It's 1,500 pages, and no one will publish it, so she starts her own publishing company to publish it. Because fuck you, that's why. <laughs> Seriously. Um, <laughs> um, and the book came out in two volumes. Unfortunately, on May 8th of 1891, Blavatsky dies. It's kind of a combination of things. The Bryce disease, she has a bad heart, she has the flu, um... So it's a lot of factors why um, many people from the society commemorate this day as White Lotus Day. Um, Her body is later cremated on um, the 11th of May and her her ashes get spread to like three different people. I want to say some go to Olcock, some go out to the river in India and then die for you where that third one goes. But she was known throughout her life as being overweight, untidy, a heavy smoker, a determined um, and forceful woman. She spoke German, Georgian, English, French, Italian, Arabic, and Sanskrit. She didn't abide by anybody's rules but her own. She's um, She saw herself as a messiah, Masonic messiah-type figure, and we'll talk about that later. There's also belief, um, and there's no like concrete evidence of this one way or the other. I don't know if we talked about this last episode or not. But there is also belief that she was a trans woman. Yes, I was actually about to say that. Okay. Um, a lot of people are skeptical about 
her sexuality because it's well she basically says that she's she never consummates either one of her marriages and that she's she dies a virgin but also there's the theory that she also might be a lesbian because she dressed more in a masculine type way for the time Mm -hmm. well that's one of the reasons why people believe that she is a trans or that she was trans and that's why she wore like the uh, baggy clothing because uncomfortable with her own body and other issues yeah i also think it also might be just because of where she's traveled all the time it's it's also it could also be because historically speaking at least in the uh east or the western world uh as far as post-christian times women's clothing are fucking horrifically uncomfortable and are not made to be comfortable they're made to show off the body and let's be honest with all of her radical ideas and interesting ideas and stuff I'm sure she wanted to be comfortable. Like, I'm oh, sure she yeah. was stubborn and enough oh, to yeah. say, nope, fuck that. I'm going to wear what I want because this is what's comfortable. And if you don't like it, then that is all on you. Yeah. I think it's some of that, too. Because, I mean, if I traveled the world from the time I was 17 to the time I was basically 60, I wouldn't want to wear that attire either. Was, yeah, if you if you had a... You know, like, wear a proper gown, or if you could just wear layers and all, or if you could just wear slacks and a button-up shirt. I can wear slacks. Slacks and a t-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like she she may have been trans, but you know what? That's her business. Yeah, and that's also the kind of like, it's not our business to judge her. This was this is after our time. This this she is gone. <laughs> like like this is way. This is way after her time. Is in why are we very focused on her sexuality of whether she was a lesbian, straight, trans woman? Who cares? Well, the way I see it is, I'm not trying to have an intimate relationship with her, so it does not tie into what I have yeah. interest in. Therefore, it doesn't matter. Uh, Goodwin basically suggests that Bavatsky's work, life work, was not only spiritual but. Um, idealistic and fiercely political he suggests that her emotional fuel was partly a hatred of oppression um he claims that that was either through the intellectual domination of christianity or the british rule of india um because that's where the empire was um but to some she wasn't actually a very political person but i think that's a lot of people depending on who you talk to in their friend circle just like everybody, her views in life constantly changed. Um, things in her beginning of her life weren't what she thought of later in life. And you can kind of see that through her writings. She had a vision of success through the root races. And we'll talk about the root races later. The races were basically very flexible categories. Cultural as well as psychological. Um, and the races combined over time through history. Um, it has inspired debates obviously because of darwin happening at the time and her book was a major criticism of the darwin theory so a lot of isis was her isis unveiled was about the root races and stuff like that because like i said she thought the darwin theory explained the physical part but not necessarily the mental and the physical part of evolution Ulva hammer um noted that a lot of her writings were anti-semitic and this was derived by an unfortunate position of judaism as the origin of christianity um and for to an intense dislike that she felt for christianity she wrote that judaism built solely on Hellenic worship has become one of the greatest creeds in asia and theologically a religion of hate malice towards everyone and everything outside of themselves she does use the jewish um mythical system the kabbalah which I find kind of interesting. If you're going to have this weird view of the people, but use their religious... I think her view of the people, at least what it's viewed as, is slightly misconstrued. But because the part of her writings and stuff... Because uh, part of her writings and stuff, one, was a product of the time. Yeah. Two, was used and manipulated by anti-Semitic individuals... And I think based off our viewpoint now, 
Yeah. It comes across as anti-Semitic because of those other individuals and other groups. Correct. And this is coming from someone who has multiple really good Jewish friends. Yes. But her true dislike was for Roman Catholicism and missionary um, Protestantism. Um, she would constantly detest them throughout her whole life. Um, she would later claim in life that she was, a, in fact, a Buddhist, even though she only really practiced while she was in um, Shillong. Um, she would claim that the Buddha was wanting to return to the teaching of the Vedas. Um, the Vedas. Vedas. Um, the church that she only really wouldn't critique was the Russian Orthodox Church. She would never compare the two. She never compared Russian Orthodox to anything ever in life. And then in 1886, the society adapted its first of three objects. Basically, the first one to form the nucleus of the universal brotherhood of humanity without the distinction of race, creed, sex, and then chaste, chaste, and color were later added later. Or maybe it was sex and caste. I'm not sure. And then two, to encourage the study of comparative religion, um, philosophy, and science. And then three, to investigate the unexplained loss of nature and the powers of latent, powers latent in man. The fundamental underlining concept behind her theosophy was that there was an ancient wisdom religion that had once been found across the world and was known to various ancient figures. She connected this ancient wisdom religion to the hermetic philosophy a worldview in which everything in the universe is um, identifies as an invention of a godhead. She also believed that all the world's religions developed from this original global faith. She claimed that due to the Christian Christianization. Thank you. It's I was like, what are you trying to say? (laughs) You didn't send me your notes for this one. I I shared it with our email. Oh, I. Yep. I don't know. Because I wrote this but... on my other email. Gotcha. Um, and then I hit share. Gotcha. Um, I missed that. <laughs> <laughs> this magical tradition was lost, but it persisted in a modified form in India and Africa. She believed that these movements were rival, would lead to it spreading all across the world, um, eclipsing the established world religion. Um, with these views and bringing them to humanity, she saw herself as kind of like a messiah type figure. Put it plainly, she was, I guess nowadays you could call it, um, pantheist. Basically, mm-hmm. everything is God around you in the universe. Um, she emphasized the idea of personal divinity, impersonal divinity. She would refer to the physical God as the universal divine principle, the root of all from which all proceeds and within which all shall be absorbed to the end of the great cycle of being. She dismissed the idea of the Christian God in the Western world. She's described it as a bunch of um, contradictions and logical um, possibilities. She stated the universe emanated from this divine principle um, with each particle of matter being influenced with the spark of divine lower orders and mandated um, from the higher ones before becoming increasingly um, dense and being absorbed back into the divine principle. Um, In The Secret Doctrine, she talks about her belief that in the beginning of time, there's absolute nothingness. And then the primordial essence then separates itself into seven rays. And then she kind of talks about how the races and stuff start. So I'm going to say this right now. And we've stated this earlier. This is a belief not ours. This is a belief back in time in a different place in society. And a lot of different things were going on in that time. So if this is triggering for you, I'm sorry. But this is a view of someone at that time and the world was in a different place than it is now. So, basically, the primordial sense separated itself into seven rays. um, And then the seven rays created the universe. And then you have these root races. So you have seven um, sub-races. So basically the first root race was created from pure spirit and lived on the continent known as the imperishable sacred land. Um, the second root race known as the hyperborneans, 
was formed from pure spirit and lived on the land near the North Pole, which had a mild climate. And the third lived on the continent of Armenia, which she allegedly survives today as Australia. Um, and then she alleged that the fourth round of the beings, higher beings descended to the planet with the beginnings of human physical bodies developing and the sexes separating. This is when the fourth root race appears living on the continent of Atlantis. And then they had physical bodies, but some psychic powers and advanced technology. That's all. That's always been a claim of Atlantis that they always have advanced technology. And yep. then they, she claimed that some Atlanteans were giants um, and they built some of the ancient monuments such as Stonehenge um, and that they also mated with she animals resulting in gorillas and chimpanzees. Yeah. Um, there's always been a giant theory on the, on the planet. Um, if you watch the show from Netflix, the new like ancient show from Netflix, it's like eight episodes. It's really interesting. It talks a lot about this stuff. Um, about giants and Atlantis. Um, the Atlanteans were, they basically abused their power and no knowledge. So that's why it sunk into the sea but some atlanteans escaped and created new society in egypt and the americas um the fifth root race she claims emerged from the aryans and we're going to talk about them for a minute and was found across the world at the time that she was writing she believed that the fifth race would come to be replaced by the sixth and would be heralded by the arrival of a um matria a figure um from buddhist mythology um, she further believed that humanity would eventually develop into the final seventh root race. Lachman suggests that by reading Blavatsky's psycho-cosmogonical claims as literal account of history may be doing it a disservice. He um, instead suggests that it could be read as Blavatsky's attempt to formulate a new myth for the modern age. So read it more as like this is a fictional story, not an actual account, and her stuff will make a little bit more sense. She thought that humans were composed of three separate parts, divine, spark, um, astrofluid, and then your physical body. This would later change later in life to seven parts, and just like everything else, views change. So when Isis unveiled, she denied that humans were ever reincarnated. Um, but by the time she authors The Secret Doctrine, her opinion had changed, as is likely, because she's been in India for so long. But she states that the law of reincarnation is governed by karma, and that humanity's final purpose being the emancipation of the soul from the cycle of death and rebirth. Um, she believed that knowledge, the no knowledge of karma would ensure that human beings lived accordingly to moral principles, arguing that it provided a greater, a far greater bias for the modal actions than that of the Christian doctrine. Just like anything, she's a huge controversial figure. And her attitudes and attitudes towards her were in a lot of different camps and it was on, in a lot of extremes. Either people loved her or they hated her. There wasn't really an in-between with her. So you had people that thought she was fucking insane and then you had people that actually believed her. And just like everything, her, her the people that were devoted to her, didn't care what you said about her. They believed everything that she did. Everything that she said, she did, according to them. You couldn't sway them to believe anything different. No, and unfortunately, you still have that with some, uh, something like that with a lot of, like, certain celebrities and stuff, is you have people who are fans of them that, you know, they can literally do whatever, and people are like, well, that's not true. That's not what happened. Yeah. But according to a religious studies scholar, Mark Bavar, Bavatsky adapted the occult tradition to meet the challenge of Victorian science and morality. And a lot of people describe her as one of the century's truly um, international figures. The psychological movement of the 19th century was created and defined in the, in the main through the um, acuteness in... Um, conceptual ideas provided by Blavatsky um, without her charismatic charismatic leadership and uncompromising promotion of the agenda it appears unlikely that the movement would have attained its unique form 
By the time of her death in 1891, she was acknowledged as the head of the community, numbering nearly 100,000 with journalist organs, journalistic organs in London, Paris, New York, and Madras. Madras. Madrid. Uh, Her writings have been translated in a variety of different languages. Um, She has more than, she's got smaller books that she has, not just the two the two big ones, then she's got a handful of smaller ones. But basically, her her society and her way of thinking helped redirect the interest in spiritualism, and it directed it towards a more coherent doctrine that include um, cosmology with the, the theory of evolution to understand the human's spiritual development, which I've always found very fascinating is how we have come to believe the things we believe in mm-hmm. but it basically took you know your traditional western sources and merged them with eastern thinking so she basically combined these two worlds that were kind of warring i wouldn't say warring but basically she did what the beatles did but way before the 60s <laughs> yes <laughs> yes um but also she was able to make an appeal to women by de-emphasizing the importance of gender and allowing them to take on a spiritual leadership equal to that of men. You have to think this is a society basically run by men. Women couldn't do anything. Um, So this provided them a greater role, you know, greater than what Christianity could provide them was like, yo, you can do all these things. You don't need to be in, in Christianity to do that. Um, her published theophysical ideas partially those to the root races have been cited as an influence for um, area of philosophy basically it was a movement in the late 19th century early 20th century um, in Germany and Austria um, and it would later be contributing to Nazi Mm -hmm. um, ideology but Lachman has asserted that Blavatsky should not be held accountable for any of the anti-Semitic or racist ideas that these people have promoted, commenting that if she were alive to witness this, she would probably have denounced its ideas regarding race. Yeah, so on note of that, if you actually look at a lot of like the, and that's going to be a whole episode, maybe I'll couple episodes in itself is the nazis and uh you know the occult aspects but there were actually there were a group of nazis and i believe himmler was the one that was in charge of this whole thing too but uh that believed that there were some nazis that were actually reincarnations of king arthur and his knights Mm -hmm. and they, uh, you know, they had like a whole castle and they thought they were the Knights of the Round Table. But we also don't, you know, attribute or we don't all, we also don't link up the Knights of the Round Table and King Arthur with the Nazis constantly. And that's kind of yeah. my thought is because, I mean, you can't like say, hey, this group did this. So everything that's involved with this is, you know, bad or inherently evil because just because they used it doesn't mean they're inherently evil. Yeah. The original idea isn't evil. They just twisted it to fit to their ideas. Um, Hutton suggested that Blavatsky had a huge impact in Asia, more in Asia than in the Western world. Um, she's been cited as inspiring Hindus to respect their own religious roots. Um, society influenced the growth of, um, India's national consciousness with um, promoting prominent figures in the Indian independent independence movement um, like Gandhi Um, because they were inspired by the society to study their own national heritage the honestly this society mainly has a huge influence in the reamp of Buddhism and um, Hinduism but like I've said, she's basically credited for bringing the Western, the Western thinking meets the Eastern 
way of thinking because she thought that the way that the Eastern cultures, she thought that they could provide answers to Western people that they, that they were seeking type thing. Uh, but basically after her death, the society splits into two different fractions. One is run by Okok in Adar, and the other one is run in um, Pasadena by Judge. The We'll talk about Judge for a minute. Um, the, uh, there's a split that started. Um, Judge, Judge was accused by Okok, and then um, Annie Bestain for forging the letters from the Masters. So in 1895, he ended his association with the society and started his own part of the society, taking some members with him. The original society was run by Olcock, um, is actually still alive and present in India today. And it's known as the Theological Society Dash Adar. And then the group that was, that judge started out the other branch, um, it did splinter even more after his death in 1896. The fraction that was led by Catherine Tingley um, is actually still around today, and she has an office headquarters out in Pasadena, California that you can tour and stuff. So, road trip. <laughs> <laughs> I'm game. I love California. That is the later life of Helena Plavatsky. She's an amazing woman. She is credited for a lot of things that we have Aryan, that whole thing. Um, but yeah, she's. I like how you're just like that whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about that later in a different <laughs> episode when we talk about Nazi occultism and all that stuff. Um, all those idiots. Yeah, because that, that plays, unfortunately, that way of thinking plays into that whole thing, and you can't. You can separate the two, but it'll make the Nazi occultism make more sense if we talk about it then. Um, yeah. I mean, she's an amazing woman. She was, she traveled a lot, especially for being a single woman at the time. She traveled unaccompanied for a number of years and she didn't take any shit from people, which I think is very incredible for a Victorian woman back then. A woman unaccompanied by a man? Scandalous. Scandalous. So, now that we are at the end of, the, of our episode, we're going to do our tarot card readings. So, what what did you pull? We'll, we'll ask that. So, I pulled the Hermit. Okay. And then which, I pulled... Huh? Which, surprisingly enough, I think I pulled a Hermit more... You know, there's 72 cards in a tarot deck. And I think <laughs> I pulled the Hermit more than any other card. So... I think I pulled the Ten of Cups. So my Namorical Christmas deck, it's the Ten of Potions. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what I pulled was the Ten of Cups. Sounds about right. Okay. So to see the Ten of Cups is to indicate a true emotional fulfillment. One where the lonely self-satisfaction of the Nine of Cups is shared with others to create a true sense of community and family. It is the crystallization of the innocent will of the Ace of Cups after learning how to love oneself. The Nine of Cups matured to the Ten of Cups, which at its core about how true happiness stems from forging authentic bonds, connections with others. This card is associated with a sense of happiness after a family of harmonizing, of harmony and peace. So what does yours mean? Okay, so the hermit is linked with spiritual enlightenment, soul-searching, self-reflection, introspective, contemplation, inner guidance, and solitude. So basically reflecting, taking what you have, taking the knowledge you have and what you've experienced, and looking in within yourself, pulling back from what is around you enough to get a clear understanding and ensuring that you are in fact living up to your highest self. So what would you think the cards mean together? I would say personally that 
while it is good to have knowledge and good to seek out and to be amongst others, it is also important to reflect on what you have and what you know and live within that. Because without knowing yourself, you can't truly know that that's around you. Okay. I think that's a good, I think these are two cards to pull for Thanksgiving for us. Yeah. I think that's, I think those are very appropriate for the next week. So until next time, guys, we want to make sure that you stay safe and happy and healthy during the holiday seasons. Yes. If you've got holidays going on, if not, we want you to stay happy, safe, and healthy regardless. Yeah. Uh, if you need help, make sure you're getting the help you need. Uh, don't be afraid to reach out to people. If you want to reach out to us, yeah. reach out. Uh, we also ask that, you know, if it is available on whatever platform you're listening to us, you like, rate, and review us. Yeah, and subscribe. And subscribe, because that would be awesome, and that <laughs> allows us to do more things for you. Yeah. Uh, we ask that you share us with people. Yeah, tell a friend. Join our Facebook and Instagram. And you can join me on YouTube. I was like, my hands are the hands that you see when I unbox videos. Yep. Find us on the social medias. Yeah. And if you need someone to talk to for the holidays, because I know the holidays are very rough for a lot of people, especially those who don't have family. Um, or if you have a book recommendation, or if we messed up in any way, you can email us at thewaverdragons at gmail com yep so until next time we love you guys and we will talk at you towards you <laughs> with you i don't know we'll be in your ear at some point <laughs> later yeah so i'm johnny and i'm kelsey bye bye